I remember uh, um, a client telling me that they Googled me and they found out, you know, a couple of years ago and they found out my age mm-hmm. and that really bothered them. But I was so, I was so happy that they brought it up so we can then talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I think we see a lot of people like debating therapy for a while because they're looking for the per- perfect therapist or the perfect timing. Um, yeah. And sometimes you just need to start. Shira. So last time we talked about myths that people hold about therapy. Now I want to talk a little bit about what kind of therapist people look for. So I'm curious, what kind of therapist have you looked for in the past? Honestly, I think my preference over time changed. In the beginning, I wanted yes. younger. I, right. you know, as a teen, only young. Young is I wanted somebody who was cool. I maybe needed somebody who can be looked up to mm-hmm. of, I want to be like her when I'm an adult. Right. I want to dress like her. I want to look like her. I want to act like her. I want to think like her. I think that's very common that we see in teenagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it is very common because they're idealizing right. and um, they're setting the path for themselves. Um, but then I think as I got older, I wanted older. Um, for me, it just felt more grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted somebody who's been through life, wasn't necessarily through the same thing that I've been like, but who can give me more of their life experience. Um, cause that's more what I was looking for the insight, but it definitely changed over time of what I needed. And, you know, that makes me think about the a bigger question of, do you specifically want somebody who is Jewish or were you open to somebody who wasn't Jewish or perhaps less religious? Yeah. How do you feel about that? That's, I mean, in general, I think that's a real personal preference. Um, personally for me, um, I, I'm, I really don't care either one. Um, I'm fine with both. Um, I was talking to a friend about it recently, actually, and she mentioned that she likes not Jewish because when she has to explain, let's say the Jewish things, she finds that grounding, like that mm. helps her understand, like it helps her be able to put things in the right perspective. So she likes the act of explaining, mm-hmm. um, but I hear from so many people that it's too complicated. They just need somebody who gets it, who understands the you know nuances. Mm-hmm. And I think depending on the case, that could be really true. Yeah. It probably also depends on the material that they want to work on or what they're right. coming with. Like if somebody is struggling with religion mm-hmm. um, versus someone who's coming in dealing with a relationship issue, they right. might have a different preference of what level of religion or Jewishness that they want their therapist to have. Right. Exactly. What about you? I actually have been to both, mm-hmm. um, both Jewish, both religious, non-religious, non-Jewish. Um, I'm a big believer in taking what you can from each. It happens to be that um, my supervisor for many years, she herself wasn't Jewish, but was married to a Jew, um, a Holocaust survivor. So I felt like I had one foot in one, one foot in the other. So that really worked out well. Um, I think for me, there was a certain safety in going to somebody not Jewish, at least as I was older, because it felt like I had more privacy. I knew that we would never meet each other anywhere. Um, And that was always my biggest thing of when I go to a wedding, I don't want to meet a therapist there. When I go to an event, I don't want to meet my therapist there. When I go shopping in the grocery store, I don't want to meet my therapist. And I do know that that's something that some of my clients think about is what should we do if we meet you at Evergreen? Um, you know, what should we do if we see you in shul? And this happens all the time. I mean, I have met clients in the most unexpected places. Mm -hmm. Um, and then yeah, the basic shul or Mm -hmm. the grocery or the mall. And I think in our community, it's very, you know, 
it happens all the time. It, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. I mean, recently I was at a wedding and I'm in the circle dancing and I spot a client of mine from the past. It wasn't a current client, but it was still a past client. And um, I didn't know what to do because I wasn't sure if she would acknowledge or not. Um, and so, of course, when you don't know, don't do anything. And so I stood there just waiting, not making eye contact. I didn't want to embarrass her in front of all of her friends. Um, and at the end of the wedding, she came over to me saying, let's not make this awkward. Mm. And, um, she, you know, she says, it's nice to see you. And, you know, I asked a bit about how she's doing and, you know, she updated me and it was a really nice interaction. Mm. But I told her I wasn't going to be the one to initiate because I didn't right. want to put you in an awkward position. And it happens to be a family member afterwards came over to me and said, oh, who is that? Right. Um, and that's always the case of everyone just wants to do Jewish geography and know who one another is. And it's, it puts me in an uncomfortable position. And obviously I'm never going to identify who it was. There's, right. you know, there's many ways of, of getting by that. Um, but when you're dealing with a non-Jewish therapist, those issues don't come your way. You don't ever right. have to deal with that. Right. And I think that's something that clients are also nervous about. Like, what if I see my therapist? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they ask that a lot in session, like, oh, what's going to happen if I'm going to see you? Especially sometimes a client will be talking about, let's say, their pace off plans. And, you mm -hmm. know, you're like, oh, wait, <laughs> we're being in the same hotel. Right. Um, so then sometimes I made plans with clients. Like, I've brought it up and be like, okay, so it's up to you. Um, I let them know that, you know, because you were saying there's many different ways when someone asks you who it is. So I let them know that, like, my family does know that I'm a therapist. So if I am, do I, if I do get vague, I mean, I can give excuses like, oh yeah, from camp, like they might be suspicious. So like you decide then if that's worth it for you to, you know, say hi or not. Right. But like, I'm gonna take the cue from you, mm -hmm. you know? Right, you know, it's me and my husband have this joke of whenever I'm going down and he'll be, he, he won't, first of all, he won't even ask who is that. Um, whenever I talk to people, like he'll give me like the eyes of, right. you know, don't worry, I'm not gonna ask. Like it could be a friend, it could be a client, it could be anybody, but he's just, you know, right. don't say, yeah. don't tell. Um, so at this point, like anybody who I say hi to, my husband is like, oh, who is that? And I'm just like, ah, and it could just be like somebody who, I don't know, I don't even remember their name. He's like, it's a client. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes like a private insight. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do think like when it comes, there are benefits to having a non-Jewish therapist or a Jewish therapist, um, religious or non-religious, um, you know, given that, what, what advice would you give to somebody who is debating whether they should go from therapist, not from therapist or Jewish or non-Jewish, like anything that comes to mind that you think could be helpful in their search? I guess it really depends what they're looking for in their therapy process, right? Because if they want somebody to understand what they're going through because they need, you know, help processing a certain event, do they want Do they want to explain it? Do they not want to explain it? Mm -hmm. So they want someone from the outside community, kind of all the different points that we touched upon. So it'd be like, you know, exploring what, what they're looking for from therapy and what to get out from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it brings me back when I was in my PhD program and I was the only Jewish person there, um, there's six or seven of us. And um, when I presented my first presentation, we have to de-identify and bring up a case that we wanna get insight from the team. And I remember sitting there and hearing the feedback from everybody and thinking, whoa, like it is so amazing to hear an outsider's view on a case that's right. from, um, because so much of the time, I mean, in a firm supervision, or I'm, my friends are 
from clinicians. And so you're hearing one take, which most of the time we're insiders. We right. know it, we grew up with it, we live it. But hearing somebody coming from the outside, it broadened my horizon so strongly. And that I think was when I started opening up more towards saying, well, there's what to take from this. And I feel strong enough to be able to take from it while also pushing away the things that don't apply. Um, it, it was funny because one of the thing, one of the main questions that somebody asked me, um, because in Brooklyn, generally, when you're wearing a shaitel, you automatically look more put together and fancier. And right. I was dealing with a client who was um, struggling with body image. And the question that came up in the group was, how does she feel about you dressing so fancy? Oh. And I wasn't dressed fancy. It was the summer. Um, but just the fact of you wearing right. a shade till you automatically come across as more put together. Um, so that was kind of cute for me to see from right. their perspective of, whoa, we're in, we're seen from the outside world as it's automatically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a client who told me that she really enjoyed our sessions because her last therapist was really dressed too fancy for her. <laughs> I, like, Wait, I thought I was dressed fancy too. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's different perspectives. Like, mm -hmm you know, where people are coming from. But I've heard mm -hmm. that a lot, like that, you know, religious people are, are more dressed up. Mm -hmm. Right. Generally, there is a, a dressed upness um, and it can be intimidating. It can, people can feel, you know, do I have to keep up to that? Or it brings up um, feelings. And that's also when someone is looking for a therapist, they might not even recognize this, but they are sizing up the therapist based on how they look and how they dress. Right. Um, because what you wear really is it's how establishing you. you. Right. Yeah, and I had one client who said, like, I only go to therapists who are put together. She was so scared of falling apart. Right. And she I'm really sure there's clients that then want therapists who are not probably put together always, but not specifically well-dressed because mm -hmm. they don't want to have that insecurity of, like, oh, my therapist looks so good. They want to be able yes. to be, like, you know, this is not something where they have to worry about in their safe space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, just another story. Um, I had a client who one of the things we had finished up and she was going um, – in for different treatment. And one of the things that she found about her group therapist was that she constantly would lay back and put her legs up on the ottoman. And it bothered her so much. And she said, I really like the therapist, but can she just sit straight? <laughs> and she said, I can't have somebody so chilled and so, so relaxed. Cause I, I've heard that I've heard the same thing also. Mm -hmm. I've had a client also who mentioned that I was on maternity leave once and I had um, referred a client to a different therapist. And when she came back to me, she, she didn't like it that the therapist, you know, like put her feet up mm -hmm. and got relaxed. Yeah. So or I can see somebody liking that though, because right. it's, you know, there's no pressure, there's no tension. Let's just relax and have a conversation. Um, you know, I've also had a client who would come in and take her shoes off and put her feet up. <laughs> so you ha it comes both ways right. of how comfortable they feel. Um, but there's so much going on just in the externals. Um, in behavior and also in dress that are just important that we don't even realize, but unconsciously we're sizing people up and that affects our decision of, you know, what, who we're going to sit with and who we're going to be attracted to. Right. And sometimes, you know, you may start with somebody and it just doesn't work for you and that's okay. It doesn't mean that mm -hmm. you're doing anything wrong. It just means it's not a good fit. And I think a lot of therapists kind of, you know, if they're taking on a new client, um, they say we have a few weeks to kind of evaluate if we're a good fit mm -hmm. because it's both end, you know? Yeah. You yeah. have to see, like, is this, is this, does your personality, does your style, does your, does mm -hmm. it, does it merge with mine? And are we going to be a good fit? And it's not personal. No. It's really not personal. It's does it work or does it not work? It's not an indication of better, worse. Um, it's just about it being a fit. Right. 
I think clients sometimes get worried to terminate with a therapist because, you know, especially after they've been together with a long time because they don't mm-hmm. want to, let's say, quote unquote, hurt their feelings. But it's not, you know, therapists know that it's not personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're able to they're, they're able to handle the fact that it's not working for you. Yeah. So I think that's an important, you know, belief that people people don't necessarily realize that therapists, this is what they're trained for. Mm-hmm. They can they can handle rejection. Yeah. I, I'm, it brings me back to a story of when I was um, supervising um I was supervising a, a new therapist and she got her caseload and her first client came one or two times and then she got the obvious phone call of we're not a match and the therapist couldn't handle it. Mm. And she called me up crying saying, Why did, what did I do wrong? Why did she leave me? What should I do to improve? Should I take her back? What should I do to get her back? Um, you know, first I have to calm her down and saying it's, you know, it's normal. It happens. Um, it's not an indication that anything was wrong with you. Sometimes it's not just a match. Obviously we want to see what we can do to grow for the future, but um, you sort of have to learn to take these things not personally, right. see what you can gain from it. And then move on. Yeah. I think every new therapist has that kind of that first rejection. You know, mm-hmm. I remember that. Yes. I remember it too. Um, and then you learn that this is normal and it's part of the process mm-hmm. and clients shouldn't be afraid to, you know, reject a therapist that doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that I, that my family jokes about is it's not always about you. Right. <laughs> um, and as new therapists, especially you start feeling like, what did I do wrong? And right. there's so many reasons why, clients just don't come back or so many reasons why they might, you know, quote unquote, feel like they're rejecting you. Um, a lot of the time it has nothing to do with the therapist. Right. And even if it does have to do with the therapist, it's not necessarily personal about the therapist. And it's important to distinguish that. So that way, number one is a therapist, you're not so hurt. Um, but also for the client to know that their rejection is not taken so deeply because oftentimes they're worried about right. hurting the therapist or what are they going to think about me leaving them? And um, I think that that just depersonalizes it and makes it easier to yeah. do. Yeah, I think so. Like permission to leave your therapist. Yes. Yeah, and permission also to shop around, mm-hmm. to find somebody and not feel committed at that first time. Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody calls me up um, to see about me, about my history, and if they want to work with me, I always say the first session is not a first session. The first session is to see if we're a good match. Right. To see if you feel understood by me, to see if I feel like you know, I can help you to feel like if we were, you know, if we're a good alliance. Um, And I think that that really frees people up and saying, okay, I don't have to commit because commitment is one of those things that scares people. Um, And therapy is scary. So, you know, and what I mean by therapy is scary is that you're going to be vulnerable with this person. Mm -hmm. You're going to be connected with them. And also you're going to be spending a lot of time together. So you want to make sure that you're really thinking through the decision um, with the appropriate amount of time, um, but also have the freedom to say no. Right. I think that people also want to make sure a lot of times that the therapists maybe went through something that they went through. Mm, That's yes. important for them. Um, That's something that I hear a lot. Like, oh, but do they, you know, do they, are they going to understand me if they didn't go through this? Mm-hmm. So there's this belief that, you know, a therapist has to have gone through what the client went to, yes. went through. Right. I, I see this in so many areas. Um, you know, I'll get questions of, you know, are you married? Or are you not married? Um, are you, do you have children? Do you not have children? Um, what's your background? Did you go to Basiakov? Did you not go to Basiakov? Right. Um, you know, do you know what it's like to go through a mental health condition? Um, do you know what it's like to have a medical condition? So, so many, so many of these questions of if you've been through it, 
you automatically understand it. Right. But I think that what people don't necessarily realize is that, you know, therapists are are trained to be able to deal with a variety of problems. They don't necessarily have to have gone through it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, though, that is a reason why people close the door and say, it's not going to work for me because you didn't go through that same thing. And, and you know, I don't want to discount the fact that going through something a lot of times does give you history in it. Um, going through something on a personal level, like you've done the ropes and there is a relatability, I think. Um, you know, and sometimes also clients will say something and I get it on a deeper level because I've been there. And I've been there in the past, so it does allow me to connect, to empathize more, and perhaps maybe to know the steps of what happens. But ultimately, even in the same circumstances, there's going to be differences. Right. And we can't assume that their story on the outside is really going to look like our story. Right. Yeah. So even if you've been through the same thing, it's not the same thing. Right. You know, I I remember one time when I was newly married and um, I had a friend at that point who wasn't married yet and she had been single for some time. Um, and we had gotten into a discussion about dating and marriage and she got really angry at me saying, you'll never get it because you got married quicker. And at first my initial reaction was, I'm so hurt. Like, how can you say that to me? How can you believe that I don't understand you? But I think that she was right. I didn't fully understand it in that moment. I needed to really sit with it and hear her story more. Um, and also she was hurt. She was really hurt by her situation, hurt by the fact that she didn't feel understood. And so it did take me time to really sit with it a little little longer until I can fully see and understand her experience. So there is something to say about not going through the same thing, but sometimes when we go through the same things, we also might then assume assume sameness and miss out or relive our own stories rather than the client's stories. So it's really a weighing out both options. You know, have you seen in certain circumstances where a client went through the same thing that you went through? Um, yeah, I mean, I see it all the time. Um, and I think that for, you know, many people, like what you're saying, like they might get lost in their own story Mm. when they, you know, encounter somebody that's brings up something to them that's similar. Because I think in everybody's story, there's always going to be something that resonates with you, something, some sort of some, you know, similarness that you went through yourself mm-hmm. um, that allows you to connect. I mean, that's kind of the definition of empathy, you know, finding a space within you that understands the other person and connecting with the other person about it. Yeah. Um, so I think I think it happens to everybody all the time. Yeah. And I think that you know that is important for people to think about prior to finding a therapist of how important is it for them that they went through the same things. Right. Right. And sometimes you're not going to know because sometimes therapists don't share. And most mm-hmm. of the time therapists don't share. I mean, right. So you won't necessarily know that. Um, and sometimes therapists will share, you know, if it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, one story comes to mind where I was dealing with a family um, and the whole time they were asking me personal questions about my degree about my history, about where I lived, where I grew up. Um, and I tried avoiding them just to, for my own personal privacy. But at the end, like, you know, what it all boiled down to was, how old are you? Um, how old really are you? What's your age? Um, will you be able to 
give us advice. Will you be able to be mature enough? That's really what it was for them is to make sure that they're putting the the care of their family in the hands of somebody that they feel is experienced enough. Um, and I think it's important to understand what's behind the question. Right, right. What's really, and I think that sometimes um, for a client also when they're looking for a therapist, I guess, is to understand like, why do you need this specific preference? Mm-hmm. You know, is it about the preference or is there something really deeper that you need? Right. And a lot of times it doesn't have to do with the thing that you're asking for because you can get the other thing. Right. So if it's if it's maturity, you can find somebody younger who is mature. Right. If it's um, you know if it's motherly if it's motherliness, you can find that in somebody who is nurturing. Right. Um, you know if it's wisdom, you can find people who are wise. So it's really looking for the real adjective and the real descriptor rather than what you think you're saying. Mm-hmm.